0: they are creepy and they're kooky they're mysterious and they're fucking spooky they're all together ooky what are they austin the adams family the motherfucking adams family that's right we watched the adams family values bitches possibly one of the films i have watched the most over the course of my life wow. and it's awesome anyone who doesn't agree with me Come at me, bro. Hey, welcome to I Dig This Movie. I am Keir Seward, an independent filmmaker and photographer, as well as a guy who has literally just this moment returned from fucking filming. An opening night, red carpet, gala, and I can say that shit sucks. (laughs) I do not enjoy the experience of filming that. It is stressful as fuck. Just so you can get some people to come in and give you like a minute-long soundbite that you can play later and be like, hey, look, we were
1: there. Or a minute-long soundbite that they've given a thousand times that you could just rip off of YouTube. (laughs)
0: Oh yeah, exactly. It's like no the funny thing is too because like we couldn't even like get certain people so we're just like filming around like we're sticking out our microphone and then I'm trying to film it so it looks like we're interviewing them, but actually they're interviewing with somebody else. (laughs)
1: Uh, And I'm Austin Hayden Smith, philosopher, actor, writer, producer, etc. etc. And I too have had experience with the red carpet throngs, and it's not enjoyable. I, I don't really enjoy it. Even when I've had the opportunity to be on like mini red carpets. What would you call a mini red carpet? Like a a blue carpet, a pink carpet (laughs) where, where you've been at premieres and stuff like that. And other people, I, I don't even like that kind of stuff, you know?
0: I'll tell you something, man, like seriously too. Like I was looking at that red carpet that they laid out. Because I it was like – because like, I was there early. It was like a whole fucking song and dance laying out this red carpet. They had it covered in plastic. <laughs> they took the plastic off. Then they like laid like the carpet down so it would reach the door and like had to like chop, like chop it and like fit it perfectly so it would fit to the door. I was like this is a fucking waste of carpet, man. It is. It's, like, it's some weird thing too because it obviously has some
1: sort of historical resonance with royalty and rolling out the carpet for dignitaries and dignified people. And it's just really funny that we do this to a select group of individuals. I mean, we don't do it to any other artists, really. It's just musicians. Well, but you don't really do it even for musicians. Only when musicians are on a red carpet for a film premiere, right? That's some fucking insane amount of money getting spent on this bullshit. Oh yeah, dude. That's what's insane. When you think about the money that goes into it, People just think about production costs, but you have no idea what production companies and studios and PR companies and publicists and all these other, these sort of peripheral uh, institutions, what they require in terms of transaction costs. It's ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous.
0: Anyway, on to the fucking podcast. Let's talk about movies, which are far more interesting than fucking red carpets. (laughs) So, this week in review, we are talking about Kingsman, The Golden Circle, Gerald's game, and we're also going to be checking in with what Austin thought about Mother. Mm -hmm. And then, in Trending Topic, we are going to be talking about the fact that I still think Blade Runner 2049 is going to suck. Everybody disagrees with me. Critics say it's awesome. Austin, I'm sure, is masturbating at the very thought of a contemplative sci-fi deli Denny Villeneuve film. Yeah, I just said his name fucking weird, but I'm sure. Anyway, I'm the one who's saying I still think it's going to suck. Finally, in our main topic, we're talking about Adam's family values. I'm, I'm like, I'm really winging it this week because i i did not prepare at all so austin what what should what should i measure the films this weekend what do you
1: think like um the length of a red carpet at a premiere for
0: your sex tape okay that's what we're measuring it in (laughs) red carpet length at my sex tape premiere there you go okay cool (laughs) So uh, first one I went to see like I went to see this like a couple of weeks ago so like I don't even know like how much how good I'm gonna be on this but I saw Kingsman the Golden Circle um, and like for a movie that there's been like a whole bunch of think pieces and people getting all pissy and also getting very critical of I'm I'm kind of like I, I I I I'd say I'm I'm kind of that one I I don't really get the big deal anyway um, my feeling is very much if you like the first Kingsman. You're gonna like this one because mm. this it's pretty much the same movie again. So anyway, um, Gary Eggsy Unwin, played by Taron Egerton, is like he's like full kingpin now. Egerton, like a Joel Egerton, uh Egerton. Sorry, no, 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 no. Oh. Egerton. Oh, he's Eng- oh, okay, he's English. Okay. Did okay. I say Egerton? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, Egerton. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, no, Egerton. Cool. He's. He's like an English dude. Oh, I didn't know if he anyway. was
1: uh, another one of the Edgerton clan from Australia. No, oh, okay. no, no.
0: No, he's in like, he's in like, uh, he, he's in his full Kingsman mode now. Okay, You know, he's like full agent. Like first, first movie was kind of him doing the training thing, becoming a Kingsman. Now he's Kingsman. You know, he's Will Smith in Men in Black 2. He's James Bond. Not Men in Black 1. He's, J- yeah. he's Jason Bourne. Anyway, uh, former Kingsman recruit turns up and tries to kill him, which leads to a sort of fight in a taxi, which is all, like, crazy and very, very CGI'd. And uh, he has a metal robot arm, which manages to hack into the Kingsman system, find all of the spots where all the Kingsmen are. And Julianne Moore, who is the main villain, who is a woman who's essentially like a, she runs like a drug cartel somewhere in like a rainforest or something. I can't remember where it is. Um, but it's like her head, her hideout has been modeled like a 1950s. Like it looks almost like, what's that place? Like main street USA in Disneyland. It looks like that. But if you'd like themed it as like 50s stuff. So there's like a movie theater there. There's a diner. There's all sorts of shit. And she's like, I mean, Disneyland. And Julianne Moore is, like, she's swinging for the fences in this. She's super, like, kind of quirky. Okay. Okay, and so basically she decides she's going to get rid of all the Kingsmen, so she blows up all the Kingsmen areas in London. The only person who survives is Mark Strong, who's, like, the kind of Q of the Kingsmen setup. And Eggsy, as we've decided, not an Egerton, Egerton. Um, and so they're like, Oh, we're fucked, and then they find out about Statesman, the American version of kingsman oh. whereas like whereas like instead of like you know like they're in they a tailor shop they're like their their front is as a tailor shop, the the Kingsman, whereas statesman, their front is a whiskey company, oh, so and, they're like Kingsman,
1: except they believe in freedom, <laughs>
0: yeah. And they're headed by Jeff Bridges doing his I'm a grumpy old cowboy Jeff Bridges thing. And uh, and then they're, you know, they have all of their agents are codenamed after alcoholic beverages. So uh, Channing Tatum, he is codenamed tequila. And uh, and yeah. And so then they have to team up. To take down Julianne Moore and it gets on to a whole thing about like the drug trade and like the war on drugs and becomes like this has this weird sort of satirical edge about kind of the um, the war on drugs and everything. And I, I, I enjoyed this. This was goofy fucking fun. And all of this kind of pearl clutching and, you know, people kind of getting up in arms. I'm kind of like, eh, just, I don't know, get over Mm. it. It's really not. It's I don't know. I didn't think it was that big a deal. All right. So and I'm, so how long of a red carpet would it be? <laughs> fucking hell, the red carpet for this. I mean, here's here's the thing. Okay, like I wouldn't say like, here's the thing. Okay. I said, it's about as good as the first Kingsman. I thought the first Kingsman was fine. Like I didn't think the first Kingsman was anything amazing. So this is kind of on par with that. It was like, it's the sort of thing that two years from now I'll see is on Netflix and I'll go like, Oh yeah, I remember I mildly enjoyed that. I'll stick that on while I'm doing something else. You know, that is the sort of that. That's what this movie is, you know? And as a bond fan, I enjoyed the various kind of Bond elements to it and the sort of the jokes on the sort of the, the, the suave spy thing. And this is very much, this is like a joke on the Roger Moore era type Bonds. The best Bond. Well, <laughs> that's... We're not getting into that. Listen, who won? Who
1: won the Bond off?
0: I won. That is a which very means, dangerous topic which means to get you into. You have to defer to me when we're talking about Bond on any. Does stage. that mean you have to defer to me when it comes to world cinema? You haven't won yet, motherfucker. Oh, you just wait. You just wait, <laughs> motherfucker. Anyway. Um, Point is yeah, I the way I described it is I said it's kind of like a bull in a china shop. It doesn't really know where it's going, and it causes a lot of destruction. But it's fairly entertaining to watch, <laughs> even if it's you know completely unfocused.
1: Yeah, the bit at the end of the first one where all their heads start exploding into like fireworks and shit. I remember I was like, what the fuck is happening? I feel
0: like I feel like that's the good thing. Like like. <laughs> I feel like Matthew Vaughn is out to create at least a couple of what the fuck am I looking at moments yeah. in all of his films. And I again, he achieves that here. I you know, so okay, Red carpet, like what? What would be a long red carpet? Well, I like, mean, you know, it could it? be Are we, are we shape, sitting, like a mile, color? maybe at like the top? Is it a yeah, mile? Maybe, like, yeah. I mean, long shaped style. Is it enclosed? Hundred yards, yeah, whatever. Like, what's what's the what's what's? I'm, I I suppose that's it. We need to figure out what the what the maximum you know what? length Just is. Just
1: define
0: what your red carpet premiere for your sex tape would look like. Oh well, my okay. So my red carpet premiere would be at Cowboy Stadium. Because it is the holy land of places. So, you know, so it would be the length of the football field there. So about a hundred yards. So we are gonna go with this would make it about sixty yards of red carpets. Oh wow. So it's a sixty yard and then it goes to the end zone.
1: Is that goes to the end zone? That's actually a yeah. that'd be a badass red carpet premiere. That would be a bad exactly. What, and then hold on, would your The film, Dallas
0: Cowboys cheerleaders would be on either side, obviously. And your that's, sex tape would you know,
1: be shown on that massive, like what is it yes. Hundred how, how big is it? Isn't it like a hundred? It's
0: bigger than a hundred feet. It's like it 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 doesn't I don't even fucking know, man. It's just big because it's <laughs> fucking screen. Texas and that's how we roll. Yeah, yeah. All right, that
1: works. Um So I'll jump into Mother then, and then we'll go on to your your next one. So I saw Mother. So you saw Mother a couple weeks ago. I went inside uh, about a week after you. And, you know, you and I had a conversation about what to expect. I had done a little bit of reading, and I read uh, your Facebook post, and then you obviously mentioned that you thought that I would get more out of it if I knew pretty much all of the themes going in. And I'll be completely honest. I think you're 100% right. I feel like if you were just going to... to, to try to see a, a scary, I don't know, uh, Annabelle type of conjuring type of horror film, then you were probably going to be severely disappointed because it isn't scary in that sense. I mean, yeah, there are a couple of jumps, like three maybe, two or three, but in the same way that Black Swan had a couple of just kind of jumps, you know, just a couple of things that pop out at you because of sound design or because of an image that that flashes quickly because someone turns around and someone's there or something pops out of somebody's or, or something pops out of someone's skin or something but so it wasn't scary in that sense but i thought that it was so rich in terms of its concepts and its themes that um i could actually talk about this film for for fucking hours i mean i know that aronofsky has been pretty clear about what he wanted to communicate with the film, which was a sort of allegorical tale about global warming and Mother Earth and the destruction of the Earth. But I think there's so much more in that 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 could be unpacked, that maybe Aronofsky, because he was raised a Jew, and I believe – I don't know if he's a practicing – conservative Jew, but I know that he's very well educated with regards to Jewish theology, Jewish tradition, Torah, the uh, Hebrew Old Testament, and I would imagine even like the, the related commentaries like Mishnah and Talmud. And then, of course, growing up in America, you can't help but just sort of take in a lot of Christian mythology as well. So the film is so rich with all of that symbolism that I feel like there's a lot going on that you could really unpack it for, for ages, especially if you're someone who has studied theology and you're going to kind of like be extra, extra, I don't know, detailed in your analysis of the film, which is something that I want to do. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. And uh, I thought that Bardem was great. I thought that Jennifer Lawrence, who I, I'm not always like, I'm not always the hugest fan of her as an actor. You know like she's good. Don't get me wrong. She's she's good. She's of course she's very talented.
0: She's one of those ones. She's
1: like Leo. You learn
0: her tics and then they start to become very repetitive. So
1: maybe it's good then that I've only seen her in sort of uh in sort of rations, you know? Like I saw Winter's Bone, I've seen two of the Hunger Games. Um, you know, I I've seen like select elements of her filmography in years since, but I didn't see Passengers. Um, I didn't see the final Hunger Games. Um, I didn't see... What was the last David O. Russell film she did? Joy. I didn't see Joy. Uh, Here's here's the
0: question, though. What would would Tarkovsky have made of this? Oh, interesting. I don't know. Um, See, the thing
1: is, is Tarkovsky probably wouldn't have liked it. It it wouldn't have liked how on the nose it was. You know, Tarkovsky was more of a mystic, uh, a religious mystic. So... This doesn't really allow for mysticism because it's sort of a radical criticism of monotheistic uh, theology and and monotheistic um, theological traditions. So I don't know. I mean, he might have something to say about it positively, but I have a feeling he he would appreciate more um, of of kind of retaining an element of mysticism where I think this film kind of radically violates that. So but he might find really interesting stuff in there. I don't know. I don't know.
0: I'm really, really tempted to like just get you a t-shirt that says WWTT. What would Tarkovsky think? <laughs> okay, so how much, how much, how much red carpet would this get in my sex premiere? <laughs> sex <tape today. laughs> at, your, at Your sex premiere. I mean, this is. Uh,
1: it's it goes the whole length of the field. It goes up into the rafters. It goes all the way around, uh, up through the stands, and it winds around, and it wraps around the goalposts, and it kind of like circles around the base of it because it's kind of crazy and fucking weird. And you does have to do the whole the thing, kind of like a labyrinth.
0: I, I, think, I think it travels yeah. into the screen is what it does. Yeah,
1: yeah it goes into, like, and it goes into the screen. Yeah.
0: You become part of the sex tape. It becomes... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It becomes an orgy.
1: Is what happens. It becomes an orgy and then everyone starts eating each other. Um yeah, that's what happens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> on that note, we're going to transition <laughs> on to the uh the other film that I'm reviewing this week, which is Gerald's Game. Which like, man, like Stephen King, he's having a moment right now. Isn't he isn't his moment like been since the seventies? <laughs> he- yeah, but like I felt but I feel like in the last like year, like I feel like we haven't had a Stephen King adaptation in a while. And like, just Mm. like now, like suddenly it's just like this year, just Stephen King adaptation blowing up and making bank. Like it made bank. Yeah. Isn't it the highest grossing horror film of all time? Yeah. It's like the highest grossing R rated film of all time. It beat Deadpool. Oh my gosh. Wow. Actually, did it beat Deadpool? If it it didn't beat Deadpool, it's right up there. Anyway, this one is directed by a guy called Mike Flanagan. Do you know who Mike Flanagan is? No. What's he done? uh sort of indie director came up through horror he's directed uh movies called hush he directed a film called oculus starring karen gillen um he also took on the sequel to ouija which is really funny because ouija was like this shitty ass like just trying to make a film out of a board game kind of thing and like you know it was like It got greenlit around the time, like, Transformers came out, and everyone was like, hey, we can make movies out of toys, Mm -hmm, you know? So, somebody made the Ouija movie, and then, so, which was shit, and then, basically, they hired this guy, Mike Flanagan, to make the sequel to that, and I think it's called Ouija Origin of Evil, Um, but basically, yeah, he just took it and made, like, this period piece, kind of almost indie, like, horror film that, like, got really really well reviewed and i don't even know i don't know if it made any money but i know it got like really well reviewed um like and so many of his films star his wife um his wife uh his wife is a woman called kate siegel um who has a small role in this this one does not star his wife anyway plot of this based off a stephen king book Uh, It is about a husband and wife uh, played by Carla Gugino and Bruce Greenwood who go away for a little kind of like couple's retreat to like their house in by the lake side. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to sort of repair their marriage. And Gerald decides to get a little bit saucy. So he handcuffs his lady to the bed, at which point uh, things get a little bit too rough. She doesn't like it she sort of starts like, she tells him to stop. He kind of doesn't like it and then they end up having an argument over it at which point he then has a heart attack, falls off the bed, cracks his head open and dies. Oh shit. Leaving her chained to the bed. Oh shit. Oh shit. Uh, Yeah. And so basically... This is like Antichrist kind of, (laughs) but different. She... This is better than Antichrist. (laughs) She's... She, um... She then has to figure out how to get out of these handcuffs um, uh, before she dies of starvation chained to this bed. Oh, my God. Uh, And actually, like, I say, like, the thing is, because that sounds, it's it's like, it's kind of like a fucked up Hitchcockian concept, because Hitchcock, so it's a chamber piece, all kind of, like, full of tension, but also, actually, I think the thing that it does really, really well is that, Essentially, she has all of these conversations with herself and her dead husband, you know, which are sort of visualized through these kind of, um, well, not ghosts, but she's talking directly to them as if they're real people. But obviously, we know as an audience that they're not really there. Mm-hmm. Um and it does a really good job of kind of putting you in the mind space of how she's kind of slowly slipping into delirium mm. and going fucking crazy trying to figure out how to get out of this bed. And it does a really good job, too, of sort of putting this ticking clock on it of you being aware of how much time she has till she she's going to starve to death or till she needs water or, you know. And it, like, it rings tension out of some really small, low-key things like thirst mm. and, you know, and... And I, I think it's, and also there's like a stray dog who like gets involved, who I have to say, I think it's really interesting because the film could have chosen to make this dog look really evil and malevolent, but it's actually just a normal looking dog, Mm -hmm. but it's doing some fucked up shit. And that's the thing that it's kind of like the film is smart enough not to know, to know not to overplay its hand. It's quite subtle and straightforward in a lot of the things it's doing. And yeah, no, I I really dug this. I thought this was great. I actually, you know, I thought this was better than It. I, and I I, I liked it quite a bit. So I I think, you know, I like this guy, Mike Flanagan. Um, I think Carla Gugino, I think she's someone who has been deserving of like a big marquee film project for a while. And like the woman's in her late 40s and she looks fucking great. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm just, I'm happy to see her getting some kind of uh some you know like a big starring part you yeah know, some central a, building a vehicle for her yeah and you know in terms of like it like some of the shit netflix has been putting out lately has been really really <laughs> shitty but i will say with this and then you got um the Meyerwitz story coming out in a week you yeah, know i netflix is like it's getting a bit more on point now okay well good yeah i mean you've sold me i want to see the movie Yeah, totally. It's only 90 minutes. Uh, It's on Netflix. Check it out. It's really good. I highly recommend it. You would think like a film that is pretty much comprised entirely of a woman being chained to a bed sounds like it would be really, really inert and dull. But I thought they did an absolutely incredible job of kind of keeping the tension going and keeping the pace going. And also, by the way, Henry Thomas is in this film playing like her dad in a flashback and he is creepy as fuck. Who's Henry Thomas? He's a little kid from E.T. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like the coward in Saving Private Ryan who's supposed to like take the bullets up to Adam Goldberg and then just sits there in the hallway and listens to the Nazis stab Adam Goldberg oh. and then cries about it. That's amazing. Yeah. He is, he is a creepy fucker in this film. Okay. I swear to God. Anyway, so uh, I'm going to give this, um, you know what, I think this, this one's definitely in field goal territory, but not like, you know, it's in the red zone. It's going like, I'd say at least, it's going at least 80 yards. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: I'm mixing my metaphors here. It's no, like, I like because it because I introduced the football uh, football measurement. So yeah, so I don't know why anyone's trying to score field goals at the premiere of my sex tape, but it, it, you know it's okay. You gotta. This is live, one of our messier. The theme,
1: you know, this is one of our messier rating systems. That's all right, man. That's all right. I like it. I got an idea.
0: Okay, Austin. So for a trending topic this week. Do you give a fuck about Blade Runner 2049? You excited? Do you want to look into Ryan Gosling's expressionless face and try and read what he's thinking?
1: Well, one, yes, um, to the latter question. And two, the thing is, is I'm excited, but I'm not excited like some people are excited because I'm not I'm not a Blade Runner fanboy.
0: Like I know people who like Blade Runner, but like the idea of like Blade Runner fanboys in the way that there's like Star Wars fanboys, like they would be they would be the worst, man. Like I know.
1: Well I don't I feel like they'd be so fucking boring. I feel like Blade Runner fanboys are more critics who esteem Blade Runner to this level of like artistic prominence within the sci fi genre, you know? I'm not one of them. Like I don't love Blade Runner. I think it's a good film. I think it's fascinating. I respect its influence on on the history of science fiction filmmaking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all of those qualifications. But, you know, with that said, even though I'm not super excited, or even though I'm not super fanboyed out with regards to the original, I am excited. I'm actually more excited about seeing this because, one, I got a man crush on Rand Gosling, Two, I think Harrison Ford is a strange guy, but I think he's got a really lovely on-screen presence. But three, and most importantly, I love Denis Villeneuve. Um, I think Arrival was fantastic, and I think that he is very capable to do stuff that's interesting for me, someone who's not like a sci-fi nerd, but who's capable of doing stuff within the science fiction genre that is intellectual but also visually interesting and that has kind of a a narrative that is at least uh, sufficient enough to grip my, my heartstrings.
0: See, here's here's like the thing, right? Okay. Like I always look at Blade Runner as one of those films that's really really pretty to look at and, you know, I you know, you show me a still image from Blade Runner, I'm I'm there. I'm just not really sure when people try to tell me of the deep meaning and metaphor and all of that shit. I'm not really sure much is actually there. <laughs> I I really don't think there's actually that much going on behind Blade Runner. Right. And I think, I think it's got some nice little speeches in it, like Rutger Hauer doing the whole thing, yep. you know, uh, battleships off the rings of Orion or whatever that part is, and the bit where he says all of these memories will be lost, like... Tears in, the, tears in the in the rain, rain yeah. it's, it's it's great you know i i i like seeing rutger hauer go full rutger hauer as much as the next person but it's at the same time i'm just kind of like i feel like this is one of those movies that really totally gets away with the whole bullshit of we explain nothing therefore allow you to feel smart because you get to read into everything um, and I'm just like, and I I think that's the only way this movie could be successful. This movie can only be successful if it explains nothing. Okay. Because the worst thing that Prometheus and those alien prequels did is they started to fucking explain everything. Because the space jockey is not fucking interesting unless you're just trying to imagine yourself what it is. Like, it was, as soon as somebody tells you the space jockey is part of the Engineers who created life, and then they created this bio weapon to destroy other. Th- You're like, I don't fucking care. Like that has nothing to do with the fucking alien. I was that wasn't why I liked the Alien movie. So my feeling is, it, the more they try and explain what the fuck is going on in Blade Runner, what the replicants are, what all of it is supposed to be, then the more people are gonna be like, that was some bullshit. But film's getting good reviews, which to me suggests that all the film does is have shots of Ryan Gosling (laughs) looking broody. And that's the worst Uh, kind of Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling is not fun to watch when he's being broody. He's fun to watch when he's being comedic and goofy. No.
1: Only God forgives and drive. That's the Ryan Gosling that I want.
0: Fuck. Fuck those movies. Anyway, no, point the is... notebook.
1: That's what I want. Although he doesn't... He, he's got the charm <laughs> But in the
0: notebook. notebook, right? Okay, so, like, right. Um, okay, so, tangent. Tangent time. Notebook, man. What the fuck is wrong with James Marsden? He's, like, he's a nice dude. He's handsome as fuck. He's got a nice job. He cares about Rachel McAdams. And, like, Ryan Gosling is this just moody dick who's an asshole to her all the time. And then, not only is, like... Not only is James Marsden, like, super nice, he's, like, not even a dick about the fact that, like, she goes off with Ryan Gosling. I'm like, you know what? All I'm saying is the James Marsdens and the Bill Pullmans of this world, (laughs) they need their credit, too. That's why at the end, when
1: Rachel McAdams chooses Ryan Gosling, she just kind of, like, shrugs her shoulder. Like, I don't know why the fuck I'm here, but... My heart, my heart wants what my heart wants. Cause we fight. But I
0: feel, I feel the same way about like Sleepless in Seattle, where like Meg Ryan's like sitting with Bull Pullman at the end, and she's just kind of like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go off to meet Tom Hanks at the top of the Empire State Building." I don't fucking know if we're actually compatible or we're gonna get on, cause I just fucking heard him on the radio and have been a weird, creepy stalker for like the right. the whole film, but. You know, you the person who like I've spent lots of time with and who actually cares about me and you know has really uh, you know has some allergies. That's his biggest thing. He has some allergies. Nerd and, and nerd. She's like, <laughs> she's like, fuck you. I'm gonna go off and I'm gonna like fucking hook up with this dude I've never fucking met before. And Bill Pullman's just like, yeah, Meg Ryan. That's you cool. know, I there totally was a time understand.
1: in the '90s though when allergies were like a big like, like indicator of just being a deficient human. Remember, like, Steve Urkel, one of the big things that he had that, like, marked him as a nerd was he had allergies. You constantly saw this, like, that the kids with asthma and the kids with hay fever in these movies, they were the ones that were nerds because of their hay fever and their asthma. Whereas, I feel like today... It doesn't really matter if you've got hay fever, it doesn't matter if you've got asthma, because today we have cures for all of that. You can just pop a pill and so it's all good, so nobody gets made fun of for being an allergy wanker anymore. Whereas in the 90s, you're fucking getting dumped for Tom Hanks if you got allergies.
0: Oh, you know, but at the same time, though, I guess that's the thing. Is like if you're competing against Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks is like America's uncle. Like, so I mean, he's 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 lovable. Who ca- who Hey, listen, I
1: that that's just a cover, man. He's got to be packing heat. You know, he's, that's just the cover. That uncle shit. He
0: keeps getting Meg Ryan.
1: Yeah. You know, he's getting Meg Ryan. And then same with Gosling. The reason that she ends up choosing Gosling over Marsden is because who's the only one that she bangs. She doesn't bang James Marsden because back then you didn't get, you didn't have sex before you were married so much, but she ends up banging around Gosling. And so she's like, whoa, not only do we have that like emotional spark from when we were teenagers and we used to fight, but he also knows how to put it down. Now she doesn't know if Marsden does or not because she hasn't experienced any of that Mars bar but she got a little bit of the gosling.
0: I feel like Marsden never gets his due in things. He's always like, he's again, he's kind of like, I feel like he is the modern day Bill Pullman. He's always the other guy in something. But at the same time, like, I feel like he's a sexier dude than Bill Pullman. Like I watched his movie, the D train, with Jack Black, James Marsden is a sexy motherfucker in that film. He is. He's a good-looking dude. But he's man. like, he's like, all right, like he Cyclops gets fucking like, you know, gets fucking steamrolled by Wolverine because, like, oh, he's just like the goody-two-shoes, boring one, and Jean Grey's like, I want some of that Wolverine dick. Then, like, then Enchanted, Anchorman, like,
1: Anchorman Two, he's
0: like Anchorman Two, <laughs> Enchanted. Uh, Amy Adams is like. Uh no, I've become to the real world. I'm gonna hook up with Patrick Dempsey. I want some McDreamy. And then and then um and then obviously the notebook where it's like, no, I want some broody Ryan Gosling who like sits in the road and thinks it's adorable to look at traffic lights while he just waits to get run over, because that's fucking charming.
1: Yeah, listen, I'm I'm not gonna fight. Uh, James Marston's a sexy motherfucker, you know? So But but all that to say Ryan Gosling is at his best when he's being moody and when he's being nah, himself. Nah.
0: Ryan Gosling, like, nice guys, crazy, stupid love. That's right. That's the Ryan Gosling I want to see.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, I'm excited to see Ryan Gosling do his brooding, um, All right. police hunting gonna or whatever.
0: Out, I'm going to throw out some things to you, and we'll see kind of, like, what you what excites you about this. Okay. If, if this excites you or not. So, controversial point, perhaps. Jared Leto is in this movie.
1: Yeah, I like Jared Leto. I know people like to shit on him because he's kind of a weird dude and maybe takes himself a little bit too seriously, and so he's quite self indulgent. But I actually think he's a phenomenal actor, and I like when when someone. What was he phenomenal in? Um, Dallas Buyers Club. Um, he was phenomenal. Is is
0: he is he phenomenal in that
1: because he lost a whole bunch of weight? No, no, I know, I know that's like the gimmicky thing, right? But no, I actually think he's really talented in
0: it. This is going to sound like maybe a dick thing, but I kind of, like... it. It's, like, his acceptance speech for that movie where he, like, told... Because at the time, like, Ukraine was, like... There was, like, military action going on in Ukraine, and he goes... To the people of Ukraine, we are there with you. I'm kind of like, dude, you're fucking standing on a stage in a like a really expensive tuxedo holding a golden statue yep. that you got for being told you're the best at pretending to be somebody. Yep. You are not with the people of Ukraine right now. Yeah, yeah.
1: He's definitely self-indulgent, and he takes himself too, takes himself too seriously. But in terms of what he can do on screen, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what he can do. He's a terrible fucking joker, I'll say that. You know, I— uh... A lot of people, they as much as they shit on the movie, they don't shit on his performance as much, right?
0: Yeah, I think it, I thought he was bad. Yeah, I
1: don't know.
0: all right. What's next? anyway? Anyway, um, Roger Deakins. I think this will be the one that yeah. Roger Deakins finally gets an Oscar for because, like, think? for fuck's sake, man deserves an Oscar at this point.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean he's probably the best cinematographer. Oh, he's not American. He's English, right? Um, he's probably he's one English. Of the- yeah. yeah, he's probably one of the best cinematographers out there. Um, I feel like it's he's gonna like be the beautiful. closest we
0: have to like a rock star cinematographer. Like, if you were like, if you were gonna like poll like general people in the public, What is it I Chivo? Like there was Chiv- any cinemat? Is his name Chivo? I is that what they Chivo? Yeah, Chivo. Uh, you know, Deacon. I Deacon. I kind of feel like with Chivo, he's probably like. I don't know. I still feel like he's, I feel like Lubetsky's still probably a bit like too indie. I feel like Deacon shot Bond, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Um, I feel
0: like people like, Deacon shot like the Shawshank Redemption. Like people, I feel like if there's any cinematographer, your average member of the public is going to know. I feel like it's probably Deacon's. You mean in terms of his filmography or, or by his name? By his name, because also he doesn't have like a weird foreign name. He has like a fairly normal name. Yeah, as Chivo well, is so. like a
1: cool nickname. You know, like
0: Chivo yeah, Manuel. Yeah, but his real name is Emmanuel Lubetsky. which is cool too. But like, I feel like Roger Deakins is probably like the most kind of like known cinematographer, and he's been nominated a fuckload times. Like at this point, just give him a. Fr- <laughs> and I'm. I feel like this because pretty much like the last three times Deacons has been nominated, I've put him down in my Oscar pool and he keeps losing. And it's like, <laughs> and I feel like come hell or high water, I'm going to win in an Oscar pool with Deacons at some point. And so this is, I feel like it's going to be this year. This is the year it's going to happen.
1: You know how to guarantee that he wins. Just don't pick him this year when he gets nominated.
0: <laughs> okay. So here's random. Okay. So here, here's the next thing. This film is two hours and 40 minutes long.
1: Yeah. um, That doesn't excite me when I hear that at at the outset. Yeah, but then again, sometimes two hours and 40 minutes. I mean, I saw Silence. Silence is like fucking three hours long, isn't it?
0: Dude, Silence was as long as Martin Scorsese needed to fucking make it because Martin Scorsese decided he needed it to be that length, okay? So don't fucking... Question that shit. Uh,
1: okay, you're right. You know, don't question Martin Scorsese. That's true. But has Villeneuve had any misses lately? Is he not maybe at that point where he's earned the right to make a three-hour movie?
0: I don't know. I mean, I mean, you know, Prisoners is I. Right.
1: Oh, I love Prisoners.
0: It's aight.
1: Oh, I loved it.
0: Um, I don't. I really liked Arrival. Like Arrival was in my top ten last year. Uh. I liked Sicario a lot, but it's like, I don't know, like, is one of those ones, again, I'm not totally, it's like, it's a great fucking script, and Taylor Sheridan's my boy, so it's a little bit right, like, right. I'm I'm just, I'm pulling at things that are convenient for my argument right now, so it's <laughs> like, I mean, that's the thing, is like, I'm, I'm gonna go to Blade Runner, I'm gonna check it out, I'm gonna give it a fair shake, but I think the weird thing is, I look at all of this huge praise, and all of this huge praise is like, going like, hey, it's a perfect... It's a perfect sequel to the original. And I'm kind of like, that suggests to me that I am going to be somewhat underwhelmed by it because I'm Mm -hmm. somewhat underwhelmed by the original.
1: Okay. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, Now, I don't want to get too much into it, but it's related. But what do you think about Denis Villeneuve potentially directing Bond 25?
0: I don't know, man. I feel like, I feel like I kind of like to see us go back to the more workman bonds. I don't, I'm not totally sure I'm down with this prestige bond. Like I kind of uh. feel like, I kind of feel like I was down for say Christopher Nolan doing it. Cause I feel like Christopher Nolan's going to know how to like respect the bond ethos where I feel like Denny Villeneuve's going to like, Oh, you're like racist
1: he's... then because he's French Canadian.
0: Yeah. No, I fucking hate those French Canadians, man.
1: Yeah. That's what it What's, is. Only, only, a, only an Englishman can direct Xavier Bond appropriately. Dolan.
0: Um, <laughs> some other French-Canadian... Pe- that, that that character from Goon who's French-Canadian, he was an asshole, you know? Yeah, he was an asshole. He was indeed an asshole. <laughs> you know? I just... I hate them all. Um, but no, I mean, like... I don't know. It's... I find it hard to... I, yeah, I feel like with Bond, it's one of those things of... I, for me, like I would be excited to have say someone like Martin Campbell come back to Bond. Because Martin Campbell to me is like the perfect Bond director. Whereas I'm not I don't dig too much on the direction that we went once we put Sam Mendez in charge. And I feel like Villeneuve is very much going down that Sam Mendez route of sort of prestige directors. And I don't want to see Bond be prestige cinema. I want to see Bond be fun awesome action fair like and i'd like to see cool action directors making it is kind of my thing
1: Hmm. yeah and there's also something too and who knows obviously where they're going to go with the actual title character in the future or with the lead actor in the future but there seems to be that there's a campiness that has been lost of late that I think would be kind of fun, but how do you bring that back? Or have we lost our innocence? Would be it would we be able to appreciate a campy bond or I mean, here's the thing, Is like, that like a, I a, feel like a bringing, thing of the past?
0: Well I feel like bringing Villeneuve in is really doubling down on the whole Poe face, Daniel Craig, I'm yeah, a yeah. you know I'm 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 a sad, miserable Bond thing. And you yeah, know, definitely. And I don't know. It's like it like you know me. I love fucking Casino Royale. It's my favorite Bond film ever. Yeah, it's amazing. So, you know, but like, I don't know, there's a flair and a wit to Casino Royale. He's not just a mopey fucker. Like it's right. I don't know. I I think like, I I don't know, whatever the route we went down with Sam Mendes is not a route I'm very happy with. And so I feel Mm. like Villeneuve is very much doubling down on that. Whereas I don't know. I was like, I was interested in bringing on this French director who did 71, you know, see, it's like, that's the thing. I don't want to see a French-Canadian being given a Frenchman's job. That's that's what it's all about. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, like, I don't know. Villeneuve is not one that particularly excites me as a Bond director. I I, li- I think I think my thing is, again, with someone like Villeneuve, who I do genuinely like a lot, and I like— I don't
1: know. I'll be honest. I actually—I'm sensing a little bit of sort of hesitation with Villeneuve. You shit on prisoners. You— Backhandedly complimented Sicario while really giving credit to your boy Sheridan. You then said, "Oh, Arrival was good," but that's like one out of four options here. And now you're saying you think he's gonna miss on Blade Runner because you don't really think. So I don't know if you actually do like Denis Villeneuve.
0: I just like, you know what that thing is though. It's like anytime at the moment that I see like a cool, interesting director who's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go make the sequel to something." or I'm gonna reboot this thing. I'm kind of like... Villeneuve was one of those guys who was kind of making interesting original material. Like, Prisoners, Sicario, and... Um, Arrival, they were all interesting original films, and now he's, like, gonna make Blade Runner, a Blade Runner sequel, like, if he does Bond, I'm kind of like, I want to see him go make his own fucking films! That's it! Like, Martin Campbell, to me, is not gonna make interesting films outside of the Bond films. Like, (laughs) Martin Campbell is the guy who you hire to fucking go make Mask of Zorro, and it's fucking awesome, because that's where Martin Campbell excels. But I don't want Martin Campbell to just go make some original movies. Like, that's the thing. Is Villeneuve to me is too good to be directing Bond, and I say that as a lover of Bond.
1: That's such a backhanded compliment. I know
0: it sounds weird. It's, my logic sounds all <laughs> fucked up here, but keep. But trust me, it makes fucking sense. And with that, let's talk about the career of Barry Sonnenfeld and the Adams family. <laughs> Nurse, how close are the contractions? Every 15 seconds, Doctor. Are you in unbearable pain? My Mm. darling, is it torture? Oui. (laughs) (laughs) Forceps. Forceps. Gomez!
1: What noosh! Father, what is it? It's an Adams.
0: (laughs) He has my father's eyes. Gomez, take those out of his mouth. He's an adorable little baby. Fine. Rub it in. Children, why do you hate the baby? We don't hate him. We just want to play with him. Especially his head. You'll meet someone, someone very special. Someone who won't press charges. Okay, so as I explained in the fucking beginning, they're creepy and they're kooky. You know, their house is a museum when people come to see them. They're the Adams Family. So this film kicks off with Morticia giving birth to a new baby um, called Pubert who uh, (laughs) immediately they decide needs a nanny because Wednesday and Pugsley the two kids decide that they hate the baby and in various macabre scenes attempt to murder the child (laughs) (laughs) in hilarious comedic fashion Um, at which point they bring in Joan Cusack. Who is playing a psychopathic murderer known as the Black Widow, who marries rich men and then murders them? She has her eye on Uncle Fester, played by Christopher Lloyd. Um, so she, when the kids start asking too many questions, she sh- sends them off to summer camp, where they have to deal with the crazy, perky Hitler youth who essentially, I swear to God, it's just like, if you look at this film, it's you look at that camp, it's nothing but, like, blonde, blue-eyed people. It's it's kind of creepy <laughs> as fuck. But, which, you know, provides the perfect setup for essentially, you know, the macabre, sarcastic Adam... Well, not sarcastic, but um, dry Adam's family characters having to be uh, up against these incredibly happy, light, excited people. And they find a common... Ally and another kid played by David Krumholtz, who, by the way, has him. gotten fat. Have you seen how fat David Krumholtz is now?
1: Yep. Yes, I have seen.
0: If you watching the deuce, <laughs> like David Kr- I was like, oh my God, what the fuck has happened?
1: Yeah, I noticed, I, I saw some photos a couple of years ago where he's like lounging around in a pool floaty thing yeah. and he was pretty big i was like whoa i mean
0: the dude was like he was like sleek in like numbers he was like kind of like a little bit of a sexy dude in in numbers and it's like yeah what? And he had his long hair and what has know. happened man anyway i don't know point is uh back over in uh the a plot line um we have uh <laughs> uh so joan cusack successfully seduces christopher lloyd they get married and then she says, "You could never see your fucking family again." Um, while she plots to murder him, however, Uncle Fester seems somewhat impervious to murder. Uh, she <laughs> has several attempts; none of them yeah. work. And he, not, not only that, but he kind of
1: gets turned on by he
0: them. Does exactly. <laughs> uh,
1: like when she electrocutes him, and all these other like he he actually finds them quite enjoyable. Yeah,
0: uh, and then. Um, so finally, uh, he re- after she attempts to explode him, uh, he comes back to uh, he comes back to the house uh, to, um, to 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 reunite with the family. Uh, oh wait, sorry, and I also have not discussed the amazing Thanksgiving sequence where um, yes. Wednesday and Pugly, Pugsley are forced to take part in a in a Thanksgiving <laughs> pageant at a summer camp. Which makes no sense, um, because why the fuck would you be celebrating Thanksgiving during the summertime? Uh, And uh, at which point they decide to uh, rally all the kind of um, fringe kids who are like the disabled, the minorities, uh, the kids with all the allergies, because it's the nineties and allergies are like a thing exactly. So uh, they then um, they rally them together and they take down the Hitler youth Nazi kids who inhabit this camp. Um, at which point <laughs> afterwards they return back home. Same time as uncle Fester. And, um, Joan Cusack shows up with a gun, tries to kill the whole Adams family, but the baby gets loose and manages to electrocute Joan Cusack who, uh, at which point the family are reunited. Everything's happy. And they're the fucking Adams family again.
1: That's right. Yeah, this is a great movie, man. This
0: is a fucking great movie. This movie is so fucking good. Like, literally, okay, yeah. like I watched it like two days ago. I had rewatched it only two weeks earlier. And it's still, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I watched it twice in two weeks. It's still fucking great.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, first we can start off with the, the characters, right? Um, Morticia and Gomez are fucking perfect together. I mean, their relationship is hilarious. Um, the performances are perfect and on point. Like, could you fucking imagine like so they much. could
0: ever cast this film again more perfectly than they did here? It is like one of the most perfectly cast films I've ever seen. I know it makes me really sad because Raoul Julia was what, like fifty something when he passed away. Oh yeah, yeah, he died because he he died in like 1995. It was like like Street Fighter was his last movie. Who was he in Street Fighter? He was the evil dude. I don't know. Bison? I don't remember their names.
1: Yeah. Um. But he was like yeah, dying no. of
0: cancer while he was filming that film.
1: Wow. I know. It's so weird. So, you know, when you're when you're a child, you pick up certain interests or likes that your parents have. You know, like my love of jazz comes from my mom who used to fucking make us listen to jazz every Saturday morning when she was working in the garden and we were doing chores and stuff like that. For some reason, I remember her being really upset when Raul Julia died. And my mom's not, like, a big film buff, but not, like, really upset. Like, she wasn't, like, crying or anything like that. But she, you know, there was a noted recognition that he died, which, to me, for some reason, has always stuck with me. So it it always had a, a special impact because it affected my mom in that way. It's always been strange.
0: He's also, like, he's a guy who I literally don't know of outside of the Adams family. Like, I think I watched, like... Kiss of the Spider Woman, like five years ago, I remember nothing about it except the fact that he was in it. Hmm. Uh, when I was a kid, we watched a film about uh, a guy who's like a, a Brazilian guy who's like an activist for the rainforest who got murdered, uh, hmm. and he starred in that. And i I don't remember like anything about it other than the fact that he was in it. And those are like yeah. the only thing. Other than that, he's he's Gomez Adams. And here's the thing that's interesting, though. It's like, did you ever, did you watch Nick at Night at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. I used to watch it all the time. Did you used to like watch like old reruns of like 60s, 50s and 60s TV shows?
1: Definitely, like the Munsters and Adam's yeah, Family exactly. and stuff so like I that. So I actually yeah.
0: like watched the Adam's Family like quite a bit. Like the old black and white Adam's Family, I actually yeah, watched a lot as a kid. So I was really, really familiar with the source material when I was watching the film. Um, mm. Which was like – but it's so weird because at the same time though, like – after watching this film, I was curious, so I looked up a bunch of clips of the old, old Adams family, and I still just – I visualize the film characters as the actual Adams family. I don't visualize the people from the TV show even though I grew up with the TV show.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of all the shows that I used to watch. I was thinking like there's Mr. Ed and then
0: – I used to watch like a lot I of, of um, I Love Lucy –
1: I Love Lucy, yeah.
0: yeah. I, remember yeah like, and, and, I remember one time saying to my parents, like, oh, I watched, like, the new I Love Lucy. This was when I was a little kid. And them going, like, <laughs> they don't make I Love Lucy anymore. I'm like, yeah, but it was in color. Because <laughs> I just assumed uh, everything old was in black and white. And, you know, because, right, like, right. they did go from black and white to color with I Love Lucy. And then be like, well, Lucille Ball is dead. So they definitely aren't <laughs> making new I Love yeah. Lucy's.
1: Yeah, but it's weird because when I think of Adam's family, I don't think like when I think of, you know, I dream of genie. I don't think of the shitty remake that they did with Will Ferrell and Nicole Kidman. Or, uh, oh no, that was no, that, that was um, bewitched. bewitched. That was bewitched. Yeah, but even still, no. right? Um, when I when I think of when I think of Adam's family, I don't think of the original. Yeah, you know, I think of the 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 '90s films.
0: But it's weird too because I was sort of thinking about this, like this film kind of shouldn't work. This film should be, like, really obnoxious and try-hard. But I don't know what it is, but it just hits this perfect level of mojo on this. Like, and I think part of it is because it's really sharp. Like, all of, like... I mean, this film is basically set up punchline all the way through. Like, the entire script, mm. it's got a really great structure. Like, the whole script, like, it, the scenarios it sets up for the characters, because essentially with the Adams Family is the whole gimmick is we need to find an excuse for them to come up against people who can react to them in some kind of a way, because it is just literally <laughs> right. they behave weirdly. People are weirded out by them and that's <laughs> it, you know? But so in theory, it should be something like, I don't know, um, cone or the stupids or something like that. Like one of those awful nineties mm. kind of, uh, tries to jump on the zeitgeist, but something, hits so well with I mean, it's it's perfectly production designed. It looks amazing, like even still to this day. And I actually think Barry Sonnenfeld is kind of the ace in the hole here because he directs it with like a great amount of flair and it's got, it's so quick. It's got such great comic timing. And I, I just think there's like a perfect storm hitting in this because you got a great cast who all fit their parts absolutely perfectly you got a really sharp script and you got a really sort of great piece of direction. And it was really funny because I re because I watch the Addams Family Values a lot. Like, I'm not joking. This is probably next to Jurassic Park, the film I've seen the most. For some reason, my grandparents had a copy of this. And like when you're a kid, you know how you just watch a film, you finish it, you just rewind it and you watch it over again. I did this with <laughs> yeah. the Addams Family values. Like, not the Addams Family, the Addams Family values. So, like, the original Addams Family, I've actually probably only seen that, like, five times. And I rewatched it. Yeah, no, in it. the original one, that's when Uncle Fester comes back, right? Yeah. And, Uncle Fester's been it, missing it, they, for years. And then, like, yeah. it turns out, like, and then they get... They like there's like a whole scam where these people try to get this guy to pose as Uncle Fester, but then it turns out to actually be the real Uncle Fester. And it's like it's it's kind of like it's kind of try hard, like the plot is it's not there. It's kind of like you almost. But at the same time, you almost feel like that first movie needed to exist for this movie to exist.
1: Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. And then in this one, it's just everything's all good with the family. And isn't it the, the case? So Joan Cusack, she wants to kill Uncle Fester, not just simply because
0: she's like a suicidal murderer, but because he's worth a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Because, well, that's the whole thing with the Addis family is they're really, really wealthy. I don't remember yeah. if it's ever explained why they're so wealthy. But they well, I was just, just going to ask. I don't
1: think it is. And
0: I, I kind of, and it, this was a thing too in the TV show as well, is that they were just like really wealthy. They just had a shitload of money so they could kind of do whatever the fuck they wanted. Um, and I mean, they do live in that giant fucking mansion. And I, I suppose it's like, you know, you, you could see it as some sort of joke on the the notion of the eccentricities that um, that money allows you to have. But, I mean, it's like they do all, the thing that's interesting about the movies that I don't remember really in the TV show is they kind of expanded out. So you get the idea of the Adamses is as like this larger family that are all weird and macabre and they all kind of like live in various places. And they all then they come together for these big family reunions where they're all weird and they all have like <laughs> hunchbacks or right. they're like cousin it. Like when I was a kid, cousin I was it. obsessed with cousin it. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, like. It is that kind of weird thing of how it... Cre- I mean, that's the thing that this film does really well. It creates a world. It creates this... It's really good at kind of world building. You buy into all of the production design, mm. all of the elements that really sort of add up to this really... Um, you know, this really just just great environment that you're inhabiting. And that's kind of it. Like, I think the first Adams Family very much feels like it's introducing you to this environment, whereas like mm. this Adams Family, it has like again, like we talk about Save the Cat a lot, but it does have a really, really tight structure and it just moves really, really fast. And it's, so it's kind right. of that thing of it. It's got these great little snappy one liners. And it's like it's like, you know, it just starts off like perfectly where Mortish is like Gomez, I'm going to have a baby. Right now, <laughs> and then it's just like, <laughs> and it just flies into it, and then oh, and that line where like you have the little girl, they're in the hospital waiting room, and the little girl's like talking about like, oh yeah, and then the stork came down, and she put a diamond in the cabbage patch, and that turned into a baby, and then Pugsley goes, our parents are having a baby, and Christina Ricci, and again, I will say this, the greatest child performance ever, quite possibly, goes. They had sex, you know, but again, it's like, (laughs) I feel like I'm giving it too much emphasis there. Like she just her dry delivery is absolutely outstanding. And I just think like there are like a million adult actors who could not pull off that sort of pitch perfect dry delivery.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I feel like in a strange way, and maybe you see this sometimes, but and I love Christina Ricci, but this is kind of like her. Pinnacle. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I actually do think this might be her greatest performance ever. Like, yeah, this might be her greatest performance, and I actually think that she's a pretty talented actor. Um, I don't know that she's like a world bender, but she's good. You know, maybe she just maybe it's about roles and writing or what. But for some reason, man. Well, I she kind just of feel like right any time like Christina Ricci's
0: had like something that's supposed to be like a marquee part or something, it kind of it's always kind of in a in a less than impressive movie. So it's like, say something like, um, oh, Black Snake uh, Moan, Black Snake Moan, or like when she was in like Prozac Nation or things like that, that were kind of supposed to mark And then there was that
1: TV show that she was supposed to spearhead. Remember where they were all like flight attendants?
0: Oh yeah. Well, she's got that, that one about Zelda Fitzgerald now Z, which I think is supposed to be all right. Okay. I I don't know. don't know. It's on Amazon. Um, and then she's also like, and then, but like, she's like, I I do think like casting her in speed racer is perfect because she does look like a human anime character.
1: (laughs) She does. (laughs) She does.
0: She's actually, she's really good in monster with Charlize Theron. And that's the thing is she kind of gets passed over because of the fact that Charlize Theron is so amazing in that film. Like she doesn't get like her due for how good she was in that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I always feel bad, though, when I'm talking about an actor who was a, a child actor and then they've gone on to do adult roles. And then I I can't overlook their child role because I know that they want respect for being the adult actor. So I, I don't want to shit on her adult capacity. She is a good actor, but there's just something transcendent about Wednesday. I mean, I, that, I, I
0: could, um, I'm not going to yeah. lie. I could actually talk this entire podcast just about Christina Ricci is Wednesday Adams. It's it's like, she is like, to me, I mean, Raul Julia is amazing. Angelica Houston's amazing. Like, Joan Cusack is like, I think this might even be Joan Cusack's best role, because fuck, Joan Cusack is awesome in this, but at the same time, I still kind of think this is Christina Ricci's movie. Like, that bit, too. Like, okay, so we got to talk for a second about the Harmony Hut, because the Harmony Hut is just That's an amazing sequence where like they 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 stick them in this hut where they have to watch like Disney movies and um, the uh, the sound of music and the Brady Bunch and Annie to try and get them like to try and de de emo them, basically. And she comes out. And that moment where she suddenly goes where she she tries to smile and it's like, again, it's like smiling is the most alien thing. And then she manages the creepiest looking smile ever committed to film, quite possibly. (laughs) But I mean, you know, for like a 12 year old actor to be able to emote that well is really fucking impressive.
1: Yeah, no, it really is. I mean, we we've talked about this quite a bit. A lot of times, you get young actors who, just based on ignorance, end up being very natural on screen. You know, um, like you get with what uh, beasts of the wild.
0: Oh yeah, you know? beasts of like, the wild. Was yeah. she?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that one. Was she actually a brilliant actor, or was it just that she was kind of a kid with a camera pointed at her? It's hard. It's hard to really tell whether or not there's a lot of technique in that. Yeah. Um, when but I said the same again, thing about the just things...
0: Jacob Tremblay in Room is I'm not totally sure how much right. you're not just watching a kid behave like a kid and kind of being manipulated.
1: Well, but then that's one of the things is when you spend a lot of time in certain schools of acting, that's one of the things they actually try to get you back to. They say that, you know, you've been so conditioned through the education system and through society and through the legal system to not... Be free that you need to strip all of that back and release your ability to just play so then again There is this naturalness that that leads to these wonderful performances and so in a way Is she technically brilliant or is there this natural? uh Just instinct that she has and I actually think that there's a technician or that, that there's a technicality there because she's about what like 13 years old I think 12. Yeah, I
0: think she's like 12 or 13
1: which is past the point, I think, of having just that pure innate sense of play, which is probably like seven to 10 at about. By the time you get to junior high, you're so, you're so pressured by conforming to the standards of peer pressure and, and, and like judging yourself based on other people's conduct that that's when you start to lose some of that freedom. So I actually think that, that this probably is a lot to do with her technicality as a 12-year- old actor, which is even more amazing.
0: Well, okay, like again, like I feel like the summer camp sequence in ge- like the summer like I said it's the B plot, I kind of feel like it's the A plot cuz that's the thing. Anytime you talk to people <laughs> about the Adams family values, it's the summer camp part that everyone remembers. Yeah. It's always it's the Thanksgiving pageant. So the Thanksgiving pageant. Yeah. So this well, su-
1: you know, that's it's interesting you say that. I will say for me, it's actually Gomez and Morticia. I think that they're brilliant. They but are brilliant. I but I do I, I but yes, I I I will say that when you say Adam's Family Values and you said it last week, what popped into my mind, it was the summer camp Thanksgiving pageant. To be fair,
0: everything about this movie is brilliant. I think this might be a perfect movie. <laughs> 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 it's like it's like I I it's like I watched it again two weeks ago and it's like I rediscovered just how amazing this movie was, because it's like I watched this a lot as a kid, and so it's that thing where you kind of think like, oh, you know, I watched it as a kid. You know, I'm sure there's like there's like some kits of nostalgia. And so it's like I watch like Mighty Ducks now, and you know, and I know Mighty Ducks isn't an amazing movie, but I remember it as a kid, right. so it's pretty fucking awesome. So Mighty Ducks right. right up there with um, Jurassic Park and Adams Family Values, and also. Three Ninjas Knuckle Up as the oh, uh, yes. as as the movies that I watched a shit ton as a kid. Yeah, I watched a shitload of Three, three ninjas. ninjas Knuckle Up is the one where they help an Indian reservation, which is leads to all sorts of weird white savior things going on there. Oh, gosh, I don't remember.
1: <laughs> I, I know I've seen it, but I don't remember. I loved the Three Ninjas. Oh, the though, Three man. Ninjas, man. What was it the, the little chubby
0: one, Tum Tum. Tum Tum. It was Tum Tum and Rocky. It was Rocky Colt and Tum Tum. Those are the Three Colt. Ninjas. <laughs> Colt. Colt was the moody he was He was the Raphael of the three yeah. ninjas. He <laughs> was. Anyway, so going back to this, though, it's like, so I rewatched I think I rewatched it like a couple of years ago out of like some weird curiosity, like kind of like, ah, I'm kind of curious. And I was watching it. I was like, it's actually really fucking, this is actually really re- well made. This is like, there's a lot of craft in this. This is great. And then I rewatched it two weeks ago and I was just like, you know, flat out, this is a fucking amazing movie like i'm like i'm like i I don't need to give it any caveats this movie is fucking awesome this movie is great you know so yeah so watched it then two weeks later was like and it was it was it had such a kind of impact watching it two weeks ago that by the time it came to pick what film we were going to watch i was like i just got to talk about the adams family values man because that (laughs) movie is the fucking tits so summer camp so you got, um, was it Peter McNichol and Christine Brinkley? I'm sorry, Christine Barinsky as the two camp leaders. Apparently this summer camp has no other camp leaders. It just has two people running the whole camp because we don't see another counselor at any point. And there seem to only be about 30 kids in the whole camp. But, <laughs> and they're all blonde and blue-eyed, except for the rejects that we discover later on. But so, Peter McNichol, um... He decides that he... So he he writes this Thanksgiving pageant, um, which, again, is a weird one because of the fact that why would you put a Thanksgiving pageant on at a summer camp? It's not well, a
1: Thanksgiving time. as one who has worked at summer camps, we did a Halloween night. We did a 4th of July... So, well, it was the 4th of July. Yeah, well, doesn't we makes Halloween, sense. 4th of July yeah, yeah, makes yeah, sense. Forget that. But we did, a, we did a Halloween night, and it was like fucking August.
0: Yeah, but I still... Feel like that's like that's basically like a horror themed night like that makes no, no it was Halloween makes more sense than to do because even like Thanksgiving like Thanksgiving like Halloween is associated with costumes and candy anyway it's very kid friendly what the fuck is like a kid thing about like Thanksgiving manipulate them to be thankful so okay so again I feel like somebody had an axe to grind in the writing of this film like and they're like Fuck this sort of weird <laughs> Thanks first Thanksgiving sort like I am someone who loves Thanksgiving. Like Austin, you've been to my house for yes. Thanksgiving. You know like yeah. I am down for some Thanksgiving. But Yes you are. I was like, but, like, I've kind of, I don't fuck with the Thanksgiving story because it's bullshit anyway. It's a dumb story that was created in, like, the mid-1800s as a way of kind of trying to sell the holiday. when really Thanksgiving is actually a holiday that predates the, um, it predates the pilgrims. Um, We just gave it this kind of weird story so that it would have some kind of, like, actual, like, mythology and reason to it. Um, It's... It's just basically it's a it's a reappropriated Harvest Festival is essentially what it is. Um, And then at some point, weirdly, Abraham Lincoln was like, we're going to put it in November. Nobody really knows why it's in November, um, but it didn't used to be before the mid 1800s. So Hmm. which doesn't make a lot of sense for a Harvest Festival, if you think about it, it, should be earlier. But point is, this film takes aim at that and basically steers into, again, sort of like rich white people. I, f- I feel, again, like, this film, like, it's, like, so timely. Like, right now, like, this lampooning of the first Thanksgiving feels like something very, like, modern day. Like, because I feel like this is, like, taking it apart before, like, people have already, like, spent 20 years talking about how bullshit it is. Um right. And so basically, they cast. I
1: guarantee you, whoever wrote this is uh, at the forefront of trying to tear down Christopher Columbus statues. Yeah. Let's just say so, that. So so okay. <laughs> so
0: we've got so we've got like you've, you've got your kind of head mean girl, um, who like the is, blonde chick, yeah. yeah. Who's the blonde chick? Who's kind of like uh, wh- he's like he's, he's, he's like what was it? You'd say like the Bizarro mirror image evil Wednesday Adams in the fact that she's blonde and overly perky and really sort of cares about everything. um and her minions of evil also blonde girls and they're all blonde but they have just like different sort of hairstyles and um and they all get cast as the pilgrims and we're very much set up with this idea (laughs) pilgrims are the good guys and then they keep actually referring to the indians as savages (laughs) which i'm just like even in like 1992 i'm like could you get away with that <laughs> um so like and then they cast wednesday adams who's obviously like the outsider there as like pocahontas because that's apparently you know again this is like because this, this is all the film is very self-aware of this it's not like the film is like right. the film is making fun of these people Um uh, because yes. obviously pocahontas was at the first thanksgiving um so cast wednesday adams as Pocahontas. And uh, all of like the Indians are like basically the the like the minority kids, like the kids with all the allergies, the the disabled <laughs> kids. Like you got like one kid in a wheelchair and like and so it's very much set up as like blonde haired, blue eyed pilgrims. Good, weird, minority, emo, disabled people, bad, um, at which point Wednesday, Adam's rocks up she pretends she's she's been pretending the whole time that she's now like she went to the harmony hut everything's like she's like she's been uh brainwashed into being good and then she suddenly busts out her master plan and just like (laughs) takes all the blonde kids hostage and it gets (laughs) it gets it gets violent (laughs)
1: it does get a little dark there doesn't it
0: down because like i I was like this weird thing okay like so like you know how like they've got her tied to you got the the evil blonde girl tied to the stake and they're like putting gasoline on the on like the wood (laughs) (laughs) and wednesday lights the match and you're like where does this end like because we just cut away I mean, later we do see like when the baby gets shot in the air and it goes all the way up to like the plane and like we see like the blonde girl and her parents like in the airplane and they look like they've been like fucking traumatized. Like, you know, so we know we know nobody actually died. Like that's kind of there almost as the kind of like nobody was actually killed. They were just they they just fucked with them a bit. But it's just like it's just that thing of like, where did she stop? Like, where was the point where Wednesday like stopped fucking with the blonde girl?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, it's pretty funny because uh, I, I didn't even actually notice that bit about being in the airplane as serving that purpose until you just mentioned that. Like I never kind of thought, oh, it's too dark, so that's probably why they had to put that in there to make it like, no, don't worry, they didn't actually kill her. I kind of just never really read much into it for for whatever reason, but that's exactly what that's there for.
0: But it's it's weird too because I think this movie is like kind of like adorably dark. Like, um, did you ever know, like, those, um, did you ever see, like, that book, what was it, um, it was, like, Edwin, it was written by a guy called, like, Edwin Gorey, and it's, like, the ABCs, and they're all, like, a kid with a different, like, first name, with, with a name starting with a different letter of the alphabet, and they all die from, uh, something within a rhyming scheme, um, you know, it's, like, one was, like, Killed by a bear. One was chased down a hole. One was poisoned. It's it's like, but it's like kind of like this weird kind of nursery rhyme thing. And we get into this okay. whole thing of like, and you know, there's that whole thing with Grimm's fairy tales and giving kids a dose of the macabre and stuff like that. And I I think that's kind of where the Adams family fits in. It's this kind of mm. adorable dose of macabre, where it's mm. like. There's limits to it all. Like, even though, like, there's a lot of jokes about murder and death, you don't take it too seriously. So it's like, when... When he's like, uh, uh, like so, there's like that bit where when Joan Cusack first walks in, and she goes to Gomez, "Oh, aren't you a lady killer?" And he goes, "Acquitted," you know. And it's like, <laughs> right, right, like, right. If right, you right. were gonna be like, okay, like an asshole, you might be like, "This movie is making jokes at the idea of murdering women. How dare right. you?" But- well, and the fact that Joan Cusack's sole purpose.
1: Uh, or or her sole sort of character trait is as a uh, Black Widow killer, right? And that she literally attempts to murder her husband multiple times. But the reason that they play it off as being funny is because he, like, survives. But you're like, wait a second. She just tried to electrocute him. She just tried to blow him up, you know? She just tried to do all these various things to him. So that's dark, but it is playful. For whatever reason, they get away with it. And I think it's because, like you said earlier, they create the world so much that we've already bought into how they're sort of they're kooky, but the way that, like... The mysterious you know, and spooky? Uh, yeah, and they are. Um it, But the way that, like, Gomez and Morticia, you know, the way that they talk to each other, even in their, like, pet, like, their pet romantic terms to each other are sort of uh themed by by this macabre sort of, like, you know, talking about killing each other and, and spending eternity with each other. So even th- they set up the world so well that... The way that they show affection or just the way that they sort of orient themselves are towards the sort of like the dark and the creepy and the death and the underworld. But that
0: isn't scary for them. That's kind of good stuff, you know? Well, it's also like I think that's the thing is this film creates such a sense of cartoon logic that is a little bit like the violence that you'd see in say a Warner brothers cartoon where you don't take it seriously. Like you don't ever think anyone's really in danger of death. So even when they put the baby in the guillotine and the blade is coming down and as far as like, okay, so if we read into the scene within the logic of it, Um, Wednesday and Pugsley think they're actually going to behead this baby. Like, they're not expecting (laughs) the baby to actually reach up and just stop the blade. But, of course, because we're in cartoon logic, it kind of doesn't matter. Because we know that baby's not going to die, you know, because we are in this sort of, like, heightened reality. So it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's, again, what makes it kind of so sweet when Gomez and Morticia are talking about I, I can't even remember the, some of the things that they say, but it's, you know, their their love for each other burns so bright that they would kill each other, that they would die for one another. Oh, it's another
0: like – oh, that's the fun thing about Gomez too is he's so – like Raul Julia pulls this off so well. Oh, he's so good. Is he he's just, so good. He, he, he hams it up, but it's just that perfect <laughs> level of ham, man. It's like yeah. – was he, he says, like, with with his one command, I would crawl across hot coals and broken glass. And and, <laughs> and Angelica Houston just goes, why wait? You know? It's, why wait? Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, OK, yeah. so so because this is like this is just a murderer's row of great performances. So we talked about we talked about Raul Julia, you know, yes. who is like, I feel like. There's a line that I heard where Kenneth Branagh was talking to Ray Stevenson and uh, during Thor. And Ray Stevenson was, said something along the lines of, so you want me to dip a toe in the River of Ham? And uh, mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh goes, yes, I've bathed in it many times. <laughs> and Raul Julia is just fucking swimming around in that he's river. He's bathing man. in the ham. He is yeah. getting, he's getting soaked in ham. He's loving he is. it um angelica houston and i think that's it like i think angelica houston is like perfectly like so much more measured it's because he's grandiose and big and she's very dry and it works as a great kind of like counterpoint and and i think it's nice too because
1: it sort of creates a logic as to why wednesday is the way that she is she's not just like a freak child she's she's the daughter of morticia and there's a little bit more of that straightness. There's a little bit more of that. Um, she hasn't maybe the thing that would bring Wednesday out of her um, out of her morose sort of straight face is if she found her uh, if she found her Gomez, you know. And that's the idea is that probably Morticia was a lot like Wednesday when she was a girl, you know. So it is it is it kind of creates a nice sort of like familial logic yeah, yeah, yeah. as well.
0: No, And I I, I think that also like Morticia also gives us the opportunity to bring up um, one of the things I also think is great about this film was that this film's got some really nice cinematography. And I love the, the detail of the fact that every time Morticia's on screen, she's got like the noir thing where it's she's got like this sort of little shaft of light across her eyes the whole time.
1: Oh, God, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Does she?
0: It, yeah, yeah. It's really, really cool. I, I, I love it. But the thing is, like, it's like huh, I have to pay attention. They had to practically do that. Like, it's not like something you could just do right. in post or anything like that. So every time they were lighting her, they had to like come up with a way so that they could have this <laughs> shaft of light going across her face, and it's it's right. really, really cool. So. We haven't talked about Christopher Lloyd at all as Fester, yep. and I kind of feel—I feel like Christopher Lloyd's great in this, but I kind of feel like again in this kind of murderer's row of great performances, he kind of gets a little bit lost in the shuffle because he's great. I just kind of think like he's just up against actors with more more fun and bigger characters.
1: Well, and Pugsley gets lost too. Yeah, I Pugsley think, definitely right? gets lost. Yeah, it, and Pugsley is great, and I think. You know, you can't have every single character um, a- at the same level either in terms of quantity or quality with regards to their output, right? Pugsley has to act happen. kind
0: of as a foil to Wednesday is the thing yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, he's he, he's kind of like the straight man to her, kind of the, the bigger role, even though she's obviously the straight yeah, and it's like with, it's with like the, so it's no, like it's yeah. like
0: the thing the conversation too where they're having like where you know every time one child dies that, sorry, every time one a new child is born they have to kill one of the old kids and he goes <laughs> right. which one and she goes well they already have one boy <laughs> you know well they only need <laughs> one boy and then he just like starts like sawing quicker like that's the sort of thing that he's brought that he needs to do that's his kind of important thing but it's not like a showy thing in the same way that like what Wednesday is doing Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly.
1: Um. So yeah, Pugsley gets a little lost. Um. Christopher Lloyd and Fester get a little bit lost. It, 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 because the first film is all about Fester. Yeah, it's, it's all about he,
0: Gomez and Fester's kind of relationship. I was actually surprised how right. little the kids are in it in the first one. It's very Gomez and Fester oriented. Well, I think that the reason that the kids
1: f- factor so much in the second one is because they – They garnered so much public love after the first one. Everyone, I mean, that's when everyone fell in love with Christina Ricci, and they were probably like, "You got to write this girl's character bigger in in the sequel." And um, and even though obviously the plot does sort of hinge upon Joan Cusack, you know, trying to get. Fester away, and then like the the murder plot and stuff like that. For some reason, to me, that actually seems secondary.
0: Well, I will to... actually say this is the interesting thing. As much as I think the movie splits the characters up, this movie feels more focused on the overall family dynamic than the first That's one. Did was... Because the first yeah. one was very, because the first one also was very concerned with this whole um sort of plot of these people trying to fake who fester was and so weirdly the adams family kind of felt secondary in the movie as to uh, you know because there was this big plot involved in it whereas this one is so focused on the family because even joan cusack's involvement very much involves her within the dynamic of the family
1: yeah and maybe that's why it works because the charm is about living in that world And the more you live in that world, the more you become a part of that world. So then you kind of see the world through their eyes rather than maybe the second one or um, the, the first one. You're kind of. An outsider coming in because you you're you're a part of the scheme you're not or, or at least you see from the people that are trying to plot that are trying to infiltrate this family whereas this one kind of works from the inside out maybe I don't know maybe that's that maybe that's what it is maybe they just flesh out the family they flesh out the story world a little bit more because of that I, I, will, I don't know there are a lot of a lot of things
0: I will also say like she's not in a lot but I will say I do think that Carol Kane is actually a big step up from uh Judith Molina who played the grandmother in the first Adams family like mm. I think um I think Carol Kane who like is clearly must be wearing a lot of old age makeup because I don't think she, I don't think she's actually that much different in age from Angelica Houston um they mm. she is like I you know her little bits that she comes into I think she's fucking great <laughs> Yeah
1: yeah yeah I mean honestly even though we can say that Pugsley and Christopher Lloyd get overlooked um there's not a single performance that is bad.
0: No. Yeah, like you know? her, I just looked it up. Her and Angelica Houston are actually the same age. Are they? Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, I think this is a great movie. And it's so funny because I had seen it recently within the last year as well. I actually saw the first one too within the last probably year as well. I don't even know why. I think it was one of those things where it was on TV here in Ireland and I, and I watched them both. Um, so when you said that we were going to watch it, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, that'll be fun to watch. Even though I was excited to watch it, it is nice, like you say, to sort of be reminded of just how good this movie is. They both are – they're actually – they are really good movies – or this is a really good movie. And um, and I mean I actually – I really enjoy the first one too but uh, – yeah,
0: it's no, it's it funny, is, too, because I think it's movie. But it was this weird moment of I was kind of like, you know what? I think I've been unfair to this movie because I think I like dismissed it because I thought, oh, it was one of those like 90s reboots right. of like this old TV show. And like, it's also obviously based off a comic strip. So I was kind of like, oh, yeah, it was one of those things that was better than you'd expect it to be. And it was solid. And I actually watched it this time. And I just, you know, I felt like, you know what? I don't give it its due. It's actually it's got Mm. a great cast who are all on point, pitch perfect performances. It's hilarious, like it's got a great script, it's really funny, I think it also manages to poke fun at a lot of little weird societal things, you know, like uh, like the whole sort of thing with the Thanksgiving stuff, and, you know, kind of like, um, and, I, and, I, and I think, yeah, I, I, I just kind of think it's actually a really great movie in this way that I think I was dismissing it purely because of the source material it was coming from.
1: Yeah, and, and it suffers from the stigma of being a comedy film. A lot of times comedy films aren't viewed as being objectively good movies or even great movies. Some of them, sure, but even, even the ones that are, are, they're not slapstick or they're not kooky or they don't have that cartoon humor, you know? Because um, for, for some reason we tend to just want drama to be meaningful. When uh when we think about what is good art and we don't think that comedy is meaningful in the realm of good art. And this film, I think it's going to last, man. I think it's going to be one of those films that 20, 30 years from now is one of those films that people still talk about. And and I think it's because there is so much there that that, that sort of makes up um this being a, just a complete piece of art.
0: So we should wrap it up. I got two quick things I want okay. to say. OK. So yep. First off is, like, we, we talked briefly about Joan Cusack, who is an actress yeah, that I great. like a lot. Like, I don't know, really I know how her. anybody could not like Joan Cusack. Yeah, she's but amazing. here's the thing, is I was watching this, and this is just this great, big, comedic bravado performance that she's giving. <laughs> and she's really right. on point with it. And yep. I was kind of feeling like, I kind of wondered, I'm going to put my kind of... SJW hat on for a second. Okay. And I'm kind of like, do we just not give actresses enough of these kind of big comedic bravado performances? Because I kind of mm. sit there and I go, Joan Cusack should have been headlining some crazy ass like comedic movies. And I and she never she mm. never got her due on that because like I just think there's some real amazing chops going on here and I just like I yeah. just think it's kind of a shame that we never saw more of this out of her like I feel like she got relegated a lot to playing the best friend role or the kind of kooky coworker you know, yeah, or she gets the she's the comedic relief in yeah, a lot of stuff too. But yeah. like, even so, like I feel like she's kind of the sort of slightly real-worldish comedic relief. She's not like kind of like crazy out there character. She's like your slightly weird kooky friend, and that's that's it.
1: Well, there there haven't been too many filmmakers that that concentrate on making these roles for women, these large central pieces for women in comedic in comedic movies, right? So, yeah, you have Melissa McCarthy now who has done a handful of these. Um, you might have uh, – what is it? Uh, Kristen Wiig um, who obviously – But Kristen like
0: weirdly kind of gone more indie now. Like she's kind of now, like – Now she has, yeah. yeah. she's kind of places I mean, more indie at least characters now. But at least she's
1: had had a platform that maybe she could do that. But again, that's a really recent phenomenon. Think about the early to mid-90s or even to the late 90s, early 2000s. Were there a lot of – and you have to tell me because your knowledge of of film history is better than mine. Were there a lot of – central pieces that were comedic platforms for women.
0: But I feel like the only times you saw It was like rom-coms. Yeah, but that's the rom-coms. And they were kind of, again, and that's where I think you see someone like Joan Cusack is you see her popping up in rom-coms as like the best friend or something like that, you know? Or even like, I don't know, like I was just, because I I was just, I was kind of thinking about how, I mean, Raul Julia aside, who is just... Fucking on um, point this film is led a lot by big female comedic performances so you got angelica houston you got joan cusack you got christina ricci who's fucking killing it and, and, and you got <laughs> carol kane who's great when she comes in and even yeah. like christine brinsky as like the camp leader is yeah, absolutely mesmerizing yeah. and it was just like one of those weird points where i was like looking at all of these i was, I was this film has a lot of great female comedic performances. And I was just sitting there Hmm. thinking like a lot of these actresses have been wasted in nothing supporting parts because there Hmm. just wasn't good vehicles for comedic actresses. I
1: mean, I think that you're hundred percent right. That is, that, that is a problem. Um, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm racking my brain to even think about platforms prior to the, the, the more recent, like, let's say prior to 2010, platforms that would allow for the type of roles that you're describing or that you're that you're that you're kind of pining after and i don't even think i can think of any you know um although perhaps one of the maybe the film that we'll do next week
0: getting nominated for best supporting actress in like blazing saddles and stuff like that you know there's there's um you know i mean Chloris Leachman, I think, did quite a lot of, like, sort of... Um, so
1: now you're talking, like, in the 70s, yeah. though, right? Yeah, but even then, so they're not... These are, young, like, again, yeah, these
0: are still fairly supporting roles. 70s role. and 80s?
1: These, these yeah, women were
0: headlining these films.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I think there's also a thing that because of... And I'm going to go totally uh, SJW, but this is, I think, just uh, a sort of critical commentary on society, but because women have been, and you've talked about this too, uh, nudity on women uh, with women is sexy, nudity with men is funny. So women's bodies have been sexualized more than men have, especially on screen, and so the flexibility that the woman body, that the female form has, is far less elastic than it is for men. Men can do drama, and they can also do sexy, and they can also do funny. Women generally can do sexy, and they can do arm piece funny, but it's not so common that they can do funny unless they're, and this is going to sound shitty, but unless they're not beautiful, you know. So someone like a Melissa McCarthy who's a bit overweight that doesn't conform to societal norms that, of that's, beauty.
0: That's that's an interesting thing too, being brought up in terms of like when you talk about someone like Kristen Wiig, Kristen yeah, Wiig because Kristen Wiig is funny, beautiful. but she's hot, you know. Or so Tina it's like Faye so now she's gone to more to like I'm like sort of like playing indie roles and things, you know. It's right. you know so I'm it it is that that weird thing of like how we what we value within within people i mean it's interesting too because i look at say someone like you you look at say something like joe versus the volcano where you have uh meg ryan playing like a bunch of different parts where she's like literally at she's like she's like changing into different characters and sort of playing like big sort of transformative roles never saw meg ryan do that again meg ryan mm. played the when harry met sally archetype pretty much through the rest of her career but it's like mm. this one point you kind of saw like meg ryan could actually like there was more to meg ryan than that at one point Hmm. yeah yeah
1: no i i think you're right and and i do think that that is a larger cultural and societal problem you know
0: um so this is this is my this is, this is so just moving on to my one last point before before okay. we wrap up What the fuck happened to Barry Sonnenfeld, man? What else has he done? Okay, so he had a great hit rate at one point. So, like, to start off with, he was like Coen Brothers' cinematographer. Did things like Miller's Crossing, Raising Arizona... Um, you definitely see some kind of raising Arizona influence in what he's doing with the Adams family, you know, blood simple, you know, he also, you know, uh, was cinematographer for big when Harry talking about when Harry met Sally, he was a cinematographer when Harry met Sally, like he was an in-demand cinematographer, kind of like he shot misery, you know, he was kind of like, yeah, yeah. so goes over, like, I'm pretty sure Tim Burton was attached to the Adams family at some point you know hmm. it just makes sense that he was even if i don't know for sure but i'm pretty sure i heard that but like okay so he takes on the adams family so his directorial debut does adams family adams family values then get shorty great fucking mm-hmm. movie men in black great fucking movie executive produces like things like out of sight you know he's like he's he's he, this is a guy at this point that you think like this dude's going to go on be just one of those just great fucking hollywood filmmakers now like he's got it he's got it all wrapped up makes wild wild west and is and never makes another good film again basically wild wild west just destroys him like he makes Men in Black 2, which is a piece of shit, makes Big Trouble, which is that film that got delayed because of 9-11. Um, oh, yeah. He makes RV with um, with Robin Williams. Robin Williams? Williams? Yeah. <laughs> which nobody remembers is a thing. And then, like, he just disappears into, like, TV for a bit. Like, he, dire- he like, directed the pilot for Pushing Daisies. Um, and then, hmm. like, he comes back. When Men in Black 3, which is not a good movie, and then, you know, but even then, I think it made money. So kind of like, what does he do with this cred? He makes Nine Lives, that movie where Kevin Spacey gets turned into a cat.
1: I don't, I've never even heard
0: of that That, that came out last year. <laughs> oh, never even heard of it. It was it, just, <laughs> I'm just like, I just, like, what the fuck happened, man? Like, what? Like, I just... He's got to have one of the most severe, just complete quality drop-offs of any director ever.
1: Uh, maybe he just doesn't give a fuck. I don't know, man.
0: It's yeah, like it's, I have no clue. It's like... I don't know. It's like Wild Wild West just fucking broke him, man.
1: <laughs>
0: did Wild Wild West make a lot of money, though? No, nah, it was a
1: bomb. Was it? Okay. Yeah. I remember that. Sure Actually, what? I'm
0: going to check this right now. What, what Did Wild Wild West make money? Uh... It says it had a budget of 170 million and its box office was 222 so that is not a success.
1: Yeah. Yeah, especially when you consider marketing I'm betting costs you that, that doesn't not.
0: include the marketing costs. So I'm betting no, you that probably. movie that movie lost money. Um, yeah. But okay, so yeah, so I just, I just had to say my piece about Barry Sonnenfeld yep. cuz he baffles me. I I confuse <laughs> me. Anyway, sum it up. Adam's Family Values great is movie. a fucking great movie. And Christina Ricci should have won an Oscar for it. I don't know who was nominated that year, but she should have. Better an Oscar than it.
1: Anna Paquin was when she was in. Oh God, the... yeah. yeah.
0: Anna Paquin's <laughs> not even good. The Scottish accent's awful. Isn't he a lady killer? Acquitted.
1: Women must follow you everywhere.
0: Store detectives.
1: <laughs> and the stork flew down from heaven
0: and turned into a baby. Our parents had sex all right austin so like i feel like i like i shared a bit of my childhood with you this week because i feel like you've you've shared your childhood with me a couple of times so i feel yeah. like this was me sharing some of my childhood with you so how are you, how are you gonna repay me
1: well i mean i i had a dream about Karate Kid the other night and I thought about doing Karate Kid but I figured it wasn't time yet to pull that and then I wanted to get really weird and do like Karate Kid 2 <laughs> or maybe even or maybe even Karate Kid 3 but I figured we can we can do that another time Um, but I did want to give you a choice instead because I was thinking like, oh man, I love Ralph Macchio and it made me think about like other young actors that I like, that I used to like, or like, like dude actors that I used to like when I was younger. So I'm going to give you a choice of two actors that you can choose from and each one uh, is associated with a film choice.
0: So Andrew McCarthy, Andrew McCarthy or Luke Perry, Andrew McCarthy or Luke Perry. So I feel like I know what the Andrew McCarthy one is. The Luke Perry one I'm not certain about. Because <laughs> I can't even fucking think of any movies Luke Perry was in. Um. All right, I'm going to go Luke Perry.
1: We're going to watch uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes, we're going to
0: Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's not a good movie, man. But, we're gonna oh, it. dude. <laughs> it's, like, but it's fascinating because it's so
1: 90s. It is so 90s, and I haven't seen it. Probably since the nineties. But I used to love this movie and I kind of it's just more of an excuse to like watch a movie that I haven't seen in forever. I can and um I, yeah.
0: I also Rutger Hauer is in that movie and Yeah. Well you mentioned him, him earlier and I was like, watching laughing. Rutger Hauer.
1: Yeah, I know, I know. Was 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 um, the Andrew
0: McCarthy movie mannequin? Yeah, it was. Yeah, no, I, I had a feeling it was mannequin.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I thought about doing either either that or weekend at Bernie's, but I was like, nah, it, it would either be mannequin just because I loved it so much and then, you know, Got to go with Buffy. So we're gonna be watching Buffy the Vampire
0: Slayer. Do you right know actually. I've actually never seen Weekend at Bernie's?
1: Oh, and you've never seen Mannequin. I've never we'll, seen we'll Mannequin do either. I'm just like we'll do,
0: we'll, Andrew McCarthy is just like he's he's a black hole to me. Well, I saw Pretty in Pink. That's which you know is overrated. But you know, you've I,
1: never seen Weekend at Bernie's. I've never seen Weekend at Bernie's. Oh my god, I'm writing this down right now because I'm not gonna forget that. We're. I think we should do that before Mannequin. So yeah, in a couple of weeks we'll be doing Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs>
0: Okay. But first
1: things first, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. In
0: the meantime, please uh, subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. Uh, go to idigthismovie.com. Write us some messages. Um, I, uh, I talked to a couple of people recently who I directed towards the podcast. So if you've started listening, then uh, awesome to have you with us. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, um, I am finally getting some shit sorted out with my own films. So hopefully there'll be more development going on Good. there. Um, and Austin, is there anything you want to plug? Nope. Same old, same, same old, old, still same in production
1: old. with my doc. So check it out. Inventfuturedoc.com. You can find us on Twitter at, uh, at inventfuturedoc. You can find me on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden. And that's pretty much what I got going on.
0: And if you see a video with a fairly grumpy-looking Andrew Garfield talking to FUBAR Radio, I shot that.